How's everybody doing? I'm conscious of saying that now, that Tim pulled me up on it last Sunday. Oh, the way I get up here and say, how you all doing? Or something. We're doing all right? Doing all right? That's good. Uh, today's been a, it's a bit of an interesting one today. Um, I kind of, this whole idea of Samson and the mega series, the idea didn't come to me until pretty late. It's sort of where I was going to go, it didn't come to me late in the week. So was, I apologise for any disjointed thoughts. I hope you can sort of jump the gaps that I leave for you. Um, we're going into the pits today, all right? The real the pits, really. <laughs> um, so much of what we're going to talk about in this story, like if it was a movie, would be like have crazy restrictions on it. Um, there's there's violence, a lot of violence in this story. There's lots of sex. There's lots of betrayal. There's massacres, piles of bodies. There's riddles about these sorts of things. There's boozy bucks party benders. It's it's a wild time, and this is all happening. This is like the mess of humanity showing up in in this place called the Promised Land. All right, this place that p- the people of Israel have been looking forward to for so long since they've come from slavery. Like this, this it's meant to be this amazing place, and all, all the pits of humanity sort of show up. So we've looked at judges in the past, and we've talked about the cyclical pattern in judges. And then we looked at Judges again and we noticed that the cyclical pattern was starting to turn into a spiral. And now when we look at it again, the spiral is turned into like a whirlpool sort of vortex. And we're right down in the low part of the vortex today, like a vortex of messed upness, <laughs> right before we drop out the plug hole. Okay? Adrian will have the plug hole for us in a couple of weeks. It's a, it's a, it's a bad time. It's a, it's a bad picture in the Judges where the people are at. And there's so much wrong in this story that you'd probably forgiven, be forgiven for saying, where's God in this? How are we meant to meet God in this place? But he's there, he's at work in this mess, and he's bringing his order about through these wayward human beings, as we'll look at. So let's meet this God Almighty through the story of Samson today. Hey? Samson. Now, um, there's a lot dedicated to Samson in Judges, four, four whole chapters given to him, so I'm not going to read them all. We're going to do a lot of flying over, a lot of paraphrasing in different things. We're going to stop and we're going to hover in certain places, dive into them a little bit more, and then we'll link them all together later on, okay? So our story starts out in the familiar pattern. What's the pattern in Judges? Where do we always find the people? Doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Exactly, so that's where our story starts out. And funnily enough, it doesn't actually start out with Samson. Starts out with his parents. His parents, um, a, a couple from the tribe of Dan who couldn't have kids. All right, that's where the story of Samson starts out. And the angel of the Lord shows up to them, these parents, uh, first, first to Samson's mom and then to Samson's mom and to his dad and says, Hey, you guys are going to have a child and he's going to have a Nazarite vow on him. He's going to be a Nazarite from conception to death. So, what's a Nazarite vow? Anyone want to throw it out there? Exactly, exactly. So it's like if someone took a Nazarite vow, they were dedicating their life to God or a section or a big chunk of their life to God. And the things that um, the sort of marking factors of a Nazarite were, you can read about this in number six if you're you're curious, where God lays it down to Moses. Um, The the factors of a, the the things that showed a Nazarite vow was he had to stay away from uh, wine and strong drink and fruit of, so he couldn't eat grapes, sultanas, you know, anything from the the vine you weren't allowed to eat. 
You weren't allowed to touch or have anything to do with dead bodies. Okay? And you weren't allowed haircuts. So a lot of mullets. No, actually, not mullets. Really mullets. It'd just be dreadies, probably. Just really long, long dreads. No, no, no business in the front. Okay, just all party. So, but anyway, like, just all long hair, okay? No haircuts. So, uh, no, no strong drink, no dead bodies, no haircuts. Okay, we down with that? So anyway, Manoah, which is um, uh, Samson's father, he brings a goat and he offers it to the Lord, this angel of the Lord that is, that is speaking to them, and the angel of the Lord just disappears up in the flames. And then they realize that they're actually speaking with the Lord here. It's not just an, any angel, it's the angel of the Lord. So it's really interesting how much in the book of Judges, uh, uh, a pre-incarnate Jesus shows up. Hey, while the people don't have an earthly king, he's showing up left, right and centre in all these places. Okay? So, Samson's born and the Holy Spirit begins to move in him, stir him up. And then the next, then years fly by and the next we see of Samson is he is this full-grown, hot-blooded male, hormones of rage through his body and he has a very keen eye for the ladies. So let's read. Let's start in Judges chapter 14 and we'll start in verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of our relatives or among all our people? that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Get her for me, she's right in my eyes. Wow. Here's a bit of a glimpse into the person that Samson's become. All right? He's a man, he's under this Nazarite vow idea. Okay? He's meant to have his life dedicated to the Lord, and doing um, the Lord's work. But he sees this... This, uh, this lady from the Philistines who he finds super hot, he starts craving her, he must have her, okay? There's no other thought of not having her in his head. He completely ignores the, the, um, the commands from the Lord, like given out in Joshua. Joshua chapter 3, when Joshua's talking about, you know, don't intermarry with these people around you, don't take on their cultures, all this sort of stuff. He completely ignores that and he's just, he sees this beautiful uh, lady and he's, he's got to have her. He's willing to throw away this vow, okay, for chasing after what he wants, what his inner flesh wants. Okay, so Samson is a judge. He's a God-raised-up judge. How does this work? How does this work? Like right now, we're probably tempted to doubt or sort of get a little bit confused around the intersectionality of God's will and man's free will, (laughs) Okay, here's Samson, is this guy, God's person, going out and doing these crazy things that are not in line with God's ways, all right? They're not how God would want him to be working or conducting himself, okay? Yet he's God's raised up judge, like he's God going, oh no, I raised him up, oh, and he's not doing what I wanted, no! Is God doing that? No. Exactly. So, in this next little verse, verse 4, it sort of pops up, it's an odd little phrase, and it hints as to what is subversively happening here 
underneath the surface of this life of Samson as he's running around doing his own thing. So let's read verse 4. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And that time the Philistines ruled over Israel. All right. So God's working amidst these crazy things. That's not giving Samson a free pass. That's not saying that these things Samson's doing is okay. But Samson is a free will creature. He's off doing his own thing. But God's higher up still. And God in his great overarching sovereignty knows all the permutations and combinations through time of what he would do under certain circumstances, what he's likely to do now. All these sorts of things. God knows this. God can still use these actions in, in his ultimate plan of freeing his people from the Philistines, from oppression from the Philistines, okay? So, does that, is that a little bit clear? I just wanted to free up our cogs a little bit because often when, when, we, when we start in sermons, you know, we, the, the cogs get flowing and things, but then we hit a difficult kind of point and it's just like, it's like a, a, it's like a, a broomstick's jammed into the cogs and you just can't, and you just sort of stop and you grind your gears on this one, one point and you can't appreciate the rest of the sermon. So, I just wanted to get that out there. That's how I'm seeing this. So, continuing on with the story, Samson and his mom and his dad, they go down, they're going, they, they want to meet this woman, this, this Philistine woman that Samson's going after. Uh, so, on their way down there, Samson seems to be separated from his mom and his dad for a little while and this lion rushes at him. Okay? This lion pounces on him and Samson, the Holy Spirit, rushes into this man and Samson tears open this lion. An apex predator is torn open by a man in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's cool. That's cool, isn't it? Anyway, he catches up with his parents again, and they find this Philistine wife that Samson saw and he's been desiring ever since. And they get to talk to her, and you can just imagine, like, Samson like, yeah, this is the one. Almost like the Barry White soundtrack coming in over the top, like, oh, yeah, kind of thing, you know? Like, she's right in Samson's eyes, okay? Samson's, she's the real deal. She's fine as wine in terms of Samson, okay? Even though he wasn't meant to be drinking that anyway. Whatever, okay? So, he's ready to ditch everything else for this woman, okay? That he's been desiring after. All right, marriage is set. They go back home, come back a little while later, ready for, the, ready for the wedding. On the way back, Samson goes, ooh, I'm just going to take a detour past that lion carcass that I killed. Why? He's not allowed to touch it. Is he just wanting to check it out or anything? Why? Anyway, in this, you can imagine probably like the rib cage of this, this lion there, the, a, a beehive has made its, made its home in there. And there's all this sweet, sweet honey dripping out of it. And he's like, oh, I want that. I want that sweet, sweet, good honey. But I'm not allowed to touch dead bodies. Eh, stuff it. Straight into the honey. Okay, give some to his mum and dad as well. Oh, okay, so once again, he's ditched his Nazarite vow for getting something that he wanted. All right, that he himself, his fleshy self wanted. He wasn't, he wasn't prepared to deny himself in any sort of way, to, to follow the way that the Lord had said he should run his life. So, leading into the wedding, okay, um, 
the Bible mentioned, the Bible has the phrase, um, that, like they show the, throw this party, and the Bible has the phrase like the young men used to do, okay? So by looking at historical traditions, we know that this was probably a pre-wedding shindig, probably a week-long boozy kind of bender, okay? That's traditionally, historically, from the cultures and history, that's what we understand this time to be, okay? So I'd be pretty surprised if Samson was at this thing and also wasn't. Just by looking at his past, what we, what he's, what we sort of seen him doing, his little care for the Nazarite vow, I wouldn't be surprised if he was drinking wine and stuff at this place too. It's a strange custom. Then also we see that Samson's a bit of a loner. He's brought no friends, no wedding party or anything. He seems to have just come down with his mum and dad because the Philistines, they come and they give him friends. Hey man, you need friends. Here, here's some of our friends. These are the guys that you need to hang out with. These are the guys that you need to have in your wedding party. These are the, uh, you don't know them for fly up, but here's your friends, have them. Okay, okay. So Samson's like, all right, I'm going to test these dudes out. So he says, all right, let's break the ice a little bit with a riddle. I'm going to tell you a riddle. If you don't get it in seven days, you owe me a heap of clothes. If, 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 you, don't, if, if you get it, then I owe you a heap of clothes. Okay, what's the riddle? Okay, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Now, what's he talking about there? Ah, we know, exactly. He's talking about the lion that he's killed. But to these Philistine dudes, they're just like, what? As if a dude could kill a lion. You know? So they, they do not get it. And they're stewing over it for days and days and days. And after a few days of still having no idea, they decide to get a little bit, I don't know, a little bit cheaty, I suppose. They go to Samson's new wife and they say, hey, get him to tell us the answer to this riddle or we're going to burn yours and your dad's house down. <laughs> Mob of psychos, hey. Like, I've heard of Bucks Party pranks, man. I've been involved with Bucks Party pranks and, like, wedding pranks and different things. Like, you know, zip ties on drive, drive shafts and, like, tin cans behind the, ball, like the tow bar and stuff. It's just it's what we do, but we don't burn people's houses down. This is crazy. These are some extreme dudes. And this obviously upset Samson's wife and she, instead of taking it to Samson, instead of coming to her new husband and saying, hey, I've been threatened, Samson, deal with them. <laughs> instead of that, okay, it's like, okay, well, these are my people and yeah, yeah, I'm going to betray my new husband, okay? So she goes to work nagging and, and trying to get, extract this answer to this riddle from Samson. Okay, so that she can then go and rat on and, well, and tell the, the other Philistine guys the answer to the riddle. So then Samson has to pay up the clothes. In the end, Samson caves to the nagging. Okay, Samson gives in and he says, well, yeah, look, it's this lion. And then she, she takes the answer back to these uh, terrible companions. These terrible companions bring the answer to Samson. Samson rages. He gets all angry. He goes into town, smashes 30 blokes, steals their clothes, and then brings, them back, brings those stinky secondhand clothes from the Philistines back to these other guys and say, here's your clothes, okay? And then he runs off from his own wedding by himself back to his mum and dad's basement or whatever. They probably didn't have basements, but you know what I mean. Back to his mum and dad's house from his own wedding by himself. It's, do we get the picture of how crazy and messed up this wedding is? It's like a Jerry Springer wedding, okay? 
And it's just crazy. And it's all brought about because Samson's chasing after something that he's not meant to have. It's what he made sense in his own heart. He chased after it. He pursued it with all he could, all he had. And look at the problems that it's caused. Look what's come of it. Look what's come of it. So anyway, a little while later in the harvest, it says Samson's, um, he wants his wife. He wants his wife back, okay? So he thinks, right, well, I'm going to go make it right. So he takes a young goat, probably offers like a peace offering to her dad. He gets to her dad and he's just like, he doesn't want a part of it. He's just like, man, I thought you hated her. I gave her to your best man. You know that guy that was given you, <laughs> that fake other guy? I gave her to you. How about you have a hot younger sister? And Samson doesn't want a bit of that. Okay, so then he gets all angry and then he runs off into the, he, he starts trapping foxes or coyotes or whatever these wild dog things are and starts tying their tails together, setting them alight and then running them off into orchards and crops and the harvest, the harvested food of the Philistines. And then this fires the Philistines up, okay? That pun was intended, all right? This fires the Philistines up, all right? And then they, uh, they get angry, so they grab Samson's wife, her dad, and they burn them to death. This fires Samson up even more, and he smashes a bunch more of them. And then he goes off and runs and lives in a cave. And it's really strange, this next little section here that happens, because while he's in this cave at Edom, it is, he, these 3,000 blokes come up from Judah and they say, hey man, you are making it hard for us. You are annoying our enemies. You are you're causing trouble against the Philistines for us. We're going to hand you over to them. This is the, this is the Israel. This is strange. Let's, let's think about this maybe in terms of our own lives a little bit, okay? These guys are so happy sort of being pseudo-slaves, sort of in subjugation to the Philistines, that they're happy to give up their God-given judge over to the enemy. Excuse me. To just remain in, just to keep the peace, okay? They're willing to give up this great thing, this crazy big Hulk kind of beast thing that God's given them so that they can stay in kind of like a slavery situation. So weird. So they tell Samson they want to do this, and Samson's like, right, well, I'll, you can bind me up and give him over to me as long as I don't fight you. So they're, okay, we're happy that the Hulk's not fighting us. All right, so they, they bind him up, and they hand him over to the Philistines. The Philistines come rushing out, they're whooping, they're cheering, they're carrying on, like, yeah, we got him. Here he is, the problem, the guy who burned all our crops. We are, well, we've got him. And then the Spirit of the Lord surges into Samson. And that rope just becomes like ash, melted wax, whatever. Just, just melts off his arms kind of thing. And, that, and, then he, and he just picks up a weapon and it's like this jawbone of a donkey and then he just starts smashing dudes left, right and centre and a thousand Philistines die that day. Okay? They die with a jawbone. What does it look like for one guy to kill a thousand dudes in a day with the jawbone of a donkey? Could you imagine the, just the blood-stained mess massacre that that looks like? You've got like oh, one dude and there's just all these guys crowding around him and there's just blood splattering and people falling and piles of bodies left, right and centre. And, and Samson even acknowledges this after this ordeal. He's like, 
he sings, he's sort of, it's sort of like a poem, kind of like a song kind of thing, and he's, he just contemplates the piles of bodies, the thousand of them killed in a day, heaps of them, heaps of them. Oh, it's messy, hey, it's messy. And then Samson realises that he's about to die of thirst. A bit thirsty after that. So he cries out to the Lord and the Lord opens the ground up and gives him water to drink to sustain him. So then into the next chapter, we see Samson sort of floating around in his weakness that we've, we saw when he first you know, set his eyes on a Philistine woman. We see him floating around in that same weakness. Okay, so far in the Judges, we've mentioned a lot about weakness and how it can be used by the Lord. Like you, we look at Ahud and we look at Gideon, all right? And those guys had weaknesses, absolutely. You know, one was like a weak lefty, like a culturally weak lefty. Gideon was just terrified. He's just a scaredy cat, all right? But these weaknesses were mm, given up to the Lord, like offered to the Lord, like there was still an obedience through them, regardless. Whereas Samson's weakness, his desire for beautiful, attractive women, okay, it's not something that he's given up to the Lord. It's running his life, okay? And it's been made clear from the very start, this weakness is, is it's not making him stronger, it's pulling him down. So Samson once again does what his flesh wants and he goes down and he um, visits this prostitute in Gaza. And the enemy get wind that he's sleeping with this prostitute. So they're like, all right, let's, let's set an ambush for him. We're going to trap this guy. When he comes out in the morning, we're all going to pounce on him and we're going to finally catch him. So, but Samson gets up in the middle of the night. On, as he's leaving the city, he just rips out these city gates off by the hinges and just carries them about 60-ish something kilometers and up atop of a hill. Yeah, so we're starting to destroy the back end of our house and I knocked down a little bit of wood yesterday and carrying it like up a little bit of an incline to the back of my house, probably, I don't know, 40-ish metres. It wrecked me. <laughs> I'm definitely no Samson. Could you imagine like two or three storeys, big wooden, like what do city gates look like? Who, who knows, like solid just rip them out of the hinges. I couldn't even rip off a door hinge if I tried. But this is crazy. And he, this is how he escapes. Like, when we look at this, his, the enemy set a trap for him. Samson was, like, lured in because of his weakness for, for women. He's lured into this place. A trap is set for him, and he only pretty much just escapes this kind of thing. Hey, he got up at the right time. The, the, the city gates thing, who knows where that part of the story comes in. But, you know, he, he's escaped this. But he's about to reach the point in his life where he can't escape from his, uh, his fleshy desires. All right, he's, he's sort of at that point in the spiral down in his life that he can't get out of. Like, imagine something, you know, orbiting like a black hole, okay? It's stuck in the gravity well of a black hole. Samson's about to hit sort of his... Um, uh, you know, the event horizon kind of thing, where there is no return, there is point, no point of return, you cannot escape from this. Samson's about to hit this in his life when he falls in love with a woman called Delilah. Let's read some more. Um, we'll jump into Judges 16, and we'll go from verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, Seduce him. 
and see where his great strength lies and by what means we can overpower him that we may bind him to humble him and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So in Samson's life, this situation seems pretty familiar, doesn't it? Okay. He's got a beautiful, attractive lady in his life who he desires and she's just trying to extract information from him. First, his wife, under threat of her life, she's trying to extract the meaning of that riddle from him. This, Delilah, she's under reward. She's going to get a pile of silver, okay? And she's trying to extract information from him. Where does your strength come from, okay? And this is, this is just my mind thinking a little bit left field here. And I just want to get your thoughts on it. Like, what is... What is like, why do they have to ask where his strength comes from? Like, when we, look at, when we look at pictures in children's Bibles of Samson, what does he look like? He's a huge dude, exactly, with big mat of hair down his back, sometimes to his knees or something. Now, I don't think those kids' books have got it right. Who knew, hey? Who knew that a kid's Bible had, like, inaccurate illustrations? But you know what I mean? Like, if, they, if he was such a massive dude, why were they asking where your strength comes from, Samson? I think he was just an average-looking dude who the Holy Spirit came into and fired up and powered up at those moments when God needed to, to okay? So take heart, all you very average-looking dudes like me, all right? can be used by the Holy Spirit. That's great news. But anyway, when looks aside, whether he was a huge hulky dude or whether he was a little weedy guy, whether he was just an average dude or whether he was an average dude that then actually did hulk out, I'm not sure. Looks aside, even where they had like a messy man bun in dreadlocks, piled high, who knows? Looks aside though, when Delilah looks at him, all she sees is dollar signs, okay? Because she just wants to extract this information from her. She wants to become rich, Okay? This is her motivation. She doesn't care about Samson, really. So she begins asking him, all right, what is it? And Samson's like, ha-ha, it's seven fresh bowstrings. She's like, okay. And she actually tries it on him, and it doesn't work. Samson breaks out of it. And then he's like, then she's like, Samson, Sammy, come on. What's your, where's, where's your real strength lie? And Samson's like, well, if I'm bound up with fresh ropes that have never been used before then I'll become powerless just like any other man. So she tries that on him as well. And it still doesn't work. Philistines come in, Samson's... Rawr, Samson, come on, baby. Tell me, the, tell me the real reason. So you can see Samson sort of getting drawn across here because then he starts mentioning something about his hair. All right? He's like, well, if my hair's woven up in... A loom. <laughs> Tries it. Guys come, Philistines come. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Smashes and breaks out. Samson. Like, how many times does Samson need to be shown that Delilah doesn't care at all about him? Like, he, she is just hell-bent on betraying this guy but he's just stuck in this place of desiring her he wants her 
he just thinks he's invincible and he can just keep doing whatever. And, but he's caught. He can't even see. Like she is dragging him in. She only wants the worst of him. Yet his fleshy self's just like, I need you. I want you. And he's just going to take her. He's going to absorb her and just use her. All the while, he's just being drawn down, dragged down. Okay? So, let's, let's continue reading a little bit more. Verse 15. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Okay, that's a big word. Basically, she's just nagging him to death. And he told her his whole heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So right here at this point, this is where Samson's life just locks itself in and it will reach its logical conclusion from this point here, okay? This final vestige of his Nazarite vow, his dedication to the Lord is given up. Right, Samson's given him over completely to this fleshy need, this fleshy want, this desire that he has for Delilah and the Lord leaves him to himself. The Lord leaves him to himself. 3 verse 19. She made him sleep on, his, on her knees and she called a man in and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. All right, so here's the guy who always did what was right in his own eyes, always chased it after everything that he saw appealing, he saw attractive, he saw desirable, always chasing after that. He's blinded permanently. Check out the irony of that, hey? He's blinded permanently. The part of his body, the part of his body that drove his desires, okay, that was sort of, that he was misusing, that was fueling his, you know, that was taking him away from the Lord, is taken away and he's brought low, just like a dumb beast of burden kind of animal. He's just crushing grain in a prison. So this, this is the end result of what chasing after our fleshy heart's desires brings in life. Okay? If we, if we look at Samson as a microcosm of the people of Israel at this time, like they're always, they go away from what the Lord wants and then they, are, they end up sort of spiraling out of control and then they end up in this place where they're in the absolute pits of their life and they need to call, call out to the Lord. Okay? That's what they are. They're trapped in their desires. They get pulled down into it. Right? And then they end up in these places where they're foreign oppression, blind, social blindness or whatever in a bad place. So, I think it's James, chapter one in there somewhere. It's like where it says where each person is, I should have, 
should have looked this up. Um, each person is tempted when he's lured by his own desire, and desire, when it's conceived, brings forth sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. I think, what's that effect? So, um, that's the progression, okay? Desire, like temptation, desire, sin, death, okay? It's for us too. We've got to be wary of this because it's not a pretty picture for any of us who are stuck at the moment, who are following what our heart wants, what our fleshy self wants. It's not a good picture. We're risking getting completely trapped in that, all right? And once we're trapped, then we're unable to escape, like Samson was with Delilah. Like, he couldn't leave. Despite all the damage that she was doing to him, he saw that she just wanted his downfall, yet he was trapped. He couldn't get himself out of it. Like a physically powerful, powerful man when he was, um, you know, powered up by the Holy Spirit. A physically extremely powerful man tears open a line, smashes a thousand dudes with a jawbone of a donkey, like crazily powerful man when he's powered by the Holy Spirit. When he's running things according to his own show, when he's following his own flesh, his own heart's desires, he's powerless. Powerless to stand against it. Powerless to give up and powerless to stand against all these terrible things that are happening to him. So let's read the last of Samson. We'll we'll pick up in verse 25, I think. And when they're... Okay, so so context. The Philistine leaders are having a giant shindig, uh, massive, big, crazy party at their temple of Dagon. Dagon was kind of like their god. He's kind of like an Aquaman, half fish, half, half human, okay? Um, the, so when there, so this is the Philistine leaders, hearts were merry. They said, call Samson that, we may en- that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women and the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. Oh, Lord, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars in which the house rests and he leant his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. So Samson's spiraling down ends in blind death. He's brought so low to this point where this little boy... A young man can be his handler. 
this strong, massive man that killed a thousand Philistines once, is handled by a little boy. He's, he's brought into this, he's brought to such a place of weak, weak humility. He's surrounded by his enemies. Could you imagine how terrifying it is? If you could not see anything, you can hear this crowd of enemies around you and you're brought into the middle of that. You can't see whether you're going to get punched or whipped or stabbed or someone's going to kill you or you can't see what, what is going to happen. Terrifying place. Like, how, how long? How long has he been in this pitch blackness? How long was he in the prison for? Like, how long? How long has it been since he felt the surge, he felt the wave of the Holy Spirit come in and enliven every single fiber, every single muscle fiber in his body? How long has it been since he felt that? How long? It doesn't really matter how long it's been or how hard how much he's spiraled because while he's alive, there's still hope for the Lord to come back to the Lord. And he cries out to the Lord. He cries out to this God that he has run so far away from. He's spent his whole life just self-serving, like being so self-serving. He's gone after what he loved. He's taken the whole anointing thing for granted, like this Holy Spirit anointing thing for granted in so many respects. He cries out, like, where does his help come from? Where does Hampson's help come from? Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Like, we all know this. And it's the same for Samson. He knows this. And I love this because it's awesome news for any of us who have run a long, long way following after our own fleshy stuff, our own fleshy self. Like, while we might bear in ourselves we might bear the consequences of the stupid life decisions that we've made. We might bear in ourselves like the crazy consequences, the dumb decisions, you know, whatever the stupid, dumb things we've done in our life. Whilst we might bear that, all right, we're never too far for God's arm to come reach and grab us when we cry out for help. So here's where the life of Samson ends. Now, I know Samson's listed in Hebrews as like a, a hero of faith. Uh, but to me, he just seems so self-serving and like took the anointing of the Holy Spirit for granted a lot of the time. I think he just made him proud and arrogant. Like his amazing power that the Lord give him, gave him sort of seems almost wasted in just his pursuit of like beautiful women and his weakness there. And I found him pretty, like I've got to say, I found him pretty difficult to meet God in. But I think there's a couple of points that we can see and we can understand God through in this, in this story of Samson. Firstly, is that this, this whole misery and death thing that comes into our lives when we are self-serving, we follow what our heart wants over what God wants. We're always going to bear those, um, bear the consequences of that in a way. But the second point is, and this is really comforting, and this gets back to that whole, you know, God's sovereignty thing, is the fact that uh, God's will, His plans, whatever, they are not thwarted by our terrible ability to do what He wants in this life. Right, he'll get His way done. God's always been at work in this mess, right from the garden. God's been at work in the mess. 
and his, his ultimate sovereignty sort of shines over and around and through these free will creatures, like our free will. Like if it's not us, we can, we can partner with God in doing his will. We can then have some benefit in that. Or we can just go our own way, chase after we want and do things our own way. It's up to us, really. But we can, we can either partner with God or we can just face the consequences of our stupid life decisions. They're our, our choices. So that's what I get out of this. I know Samson's not this role model that we should follow, but I just want to reflect on this now. There is an exemplar that shines through and that is past Samson. Okay, There's an exemplar that um, he draws us through this picture of Samson towards himself. We look at this picture of Samson and we're like, oh, how could we ever you know, get to God through this guy? But let's look at him. Because there, this other exemplar also had a miraculous birth. All right? And this other exemplar also had supernatural strength. And this, sup- this other exemplar also tore open a roaring lion. And this other exemplar also was bought with silver. This other exemplar was also betrayed by a loved one close to him. This other exemplar also, man, was put on stage and mocked while he died, his arms outstretched wide. This other exemplar was tortured. And this other exemplar, who through his own death, okay, crushed and destroyed the head of the enemy. This is another man, this other exemplar, who didn't die for his own sins, but he laid down his strength and died for ours. Okay? So when we look through Samson, we look at our other exemplar, this other man, much better man, man our God, our Saviour, Jesus. Yeah? So, let's remember the death of that other man now as we come to communion. Hey, Kat, would you like to break the bread for us, please, little sis? Um, so, as we come up and we remember, like, this death and this, um, this blood broken, just to, to buy us back to himself, so we have power to the Holy Spirit living in us, like, all the time, not just in surges like Samson had, but all the time made possible because of this, this meal that we're going to remember of, it made possible because of Jesus dying. So let's remember him now. Come and we'll drink, we'll drink together and Lukey will, um, will pray for us um, and then we'll drink together.